something. Well, hey, good morning, church. It's so good to see each and every one of you. My name is Bill. I'm the lead pastor. For those of you that are new with us or those of you that are watching online, thank you so much for being a part of our service at Arizona Community Church. For those of you watching online, uh, we have people watching all over the country. Uh, we're, we are a church in South Tempe, a small church, faithful church in South Tempe. And if you found us online, we are glad that you are with us. Um, we are starting a brand new sermon series today, which I'm very excited about, and it is called I Didn't See That Coming. And we are going to be looking at ordinary people in the Bible who uh, often faced unexpected or extraordinary circumstances and how they responded to these different circumstances and what we might learn from them. So it's going to be, uh, I think, a really encouraging service or series, and I think that you're going to be blessed because of it. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Um, how many of you uh, either grow up, grew up with somebody, are living with someone, or work with someone who is the type of person who plans for every contingency possible? Anybody know somebody like that? Yeah, okay, we, we all know, we, you probably have somebody in your past, but you're going on a trip, you're going on a vacation, they know every exit, they know every restroom, they know every gas station, literally across the country, and they are prepared. But the point is this, no matter who you are, no matter how well prepared you might be, the things, things are going to happen to you. Things are going to happen to, to me that we just didn't see coming. Amen? It's just the case. We even have come up with a term for this here in the United States. We say, uh, that hit me out of left field. That came out of left field. Familiar with that? I talked to somebody after the first service, and they, they told me some of the stuff they went through, and they said, it, that came out of right field. And I go, boy, you know you really got it bad when it came out of right field. I mean, there's left field, and then there's right field. Right field's really advanced. <laughs> now, uh, it's, it's rare. It is rare, but on occasion, uh, we as a culture can experience collectively things that we didn't see coming that literally come out of left field and hit us. And I think a perfect example of a time that we all collectively didn't see something coming was 9-11. That's kind of a sobering thought. As a matter of fact, my middle child was born on September 9th, so September 10th, September 11th. My wife was still in the hospital at the time, and when I woke up and I turned on the news that morning, I immediately called my wife and I said, I think I need to come get you because I'm not sure how bad this attack is going to be. We all went to sleep on September 10th, not having a clue what would happen on September 11th. But when we woke up, we were facing life-altering circumstances, the likes of which very few of us had ever experienced, and no one saw it coming. 9-11, of course, has been compared to the bombing of Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. This was another time that those living in this country, and some of you were alive then, collectively experienced something that we never saw coming. Again, it's rare that collectively as a culture, we can all say together in the same breath, we didn't see that coming. Because the reality is, most of the time, those unexpected things that suddenly befall us and end up in our lap, those things we didn't see coming, those things that come out of left field, they fall on us as individuals. They fall on us as individuals. And when that happens, it can be incredibly scary, incredibly lonely. Because something has hit you out of left field. Something you didn't see coming is now in your lap, and you're there holding this going, oh my gosh, I didn't see this coming. And you look to the right, and the person over here isn't dealing with it. You look over here, they're not dealing with it. It's just you. And it can be very difficult to be in that sort of situation. And there's no doubt 
that there are some of you here today, many of you watching online, who are currently dealing with very difficult circumstances you didn't see coming. And so you know exactly what I'm talking about. The message to you, and literally to everyone in this room right now or watching online is this, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because not only is God fully in control of those things that you and I never see coming, here's the kicker. He is using those things that we never see coming in ways that you and I cannot even possibly imagine. And today, we are going to be looking at a historical event, a true historical event that illustrates this point perfectly. It is my goal that you leave here today filled with hope. Filled with hope. It's a historical event that I think truly mirrors where we are in culture today. So, a little history. Um, around 1500 BC, I need you to go back 2,000 years. Then I need you to go back another 1500 years. So we're about 1500 years BC. Moses leads the Israelites up out of Egypt. They've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. He leads them up and they, they go up to the promised land. They're supposed to enter, but they don't. So God has them wander in the desert for 40 years. And then he leads them up to the plains of Moab. And Moab is where modern day Jordan is. So if you know where Israel is, then you know the Jordan River goes right down, down Israel, right, through the, right down the, the center of Israel. And then on the other east of East of the Jordan River is modern-day Jordan, but that was once called Moab. And Moses leads them up to the plains of Moab, and Moses isn't allowed to enter the promised land. There he dies, and he hands the baton off to Joshua. Okay, Joshua takes over, and he leads them into the promised land across the Jordan, and he conquers the promised land over a seven-year period. And we enter then a 400-year period known as the period of the Judges. That is the book of of Judges. And here's the key. In the very, at the very end of the book of Judges, we read this verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sound remotely familiar? <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, during this time of the Judges, there was both political and religious turmoil. It was, there was so much infighting that 10 of the tribes almost wiped out two of the tribes of Israel. You can read about it in Judges chapter 12, but Manasseh and Benjamin were almost wiped out. That's how bad the infighting was. On top of this, everyone's running around doing what is right in their own eyes. And again, if it sounds remotely familiar, it's because it's incredibly similar to, I think, where we are today. But here's where things take an interesting turn. It's during this time in Israel's history that we are introduced to an obscure Israelite woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi is a woman who faced some unexpected and pretty extraordinary circumstances. And yet, Naomi stands as a powerful example. And trust me when I tell you this. She stands as a powerful example of how God can use those things we never see coming in ways that we could never have possibly imagined. So who was Naomi? You want to know who she was? Many scholars call her the female version of Job. So you know who Job was, right? The book of Job. Uh, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Job, there's a book named after this man. And it's specifically because of the suffering that he has endured. Many of us are familiar with Job. Well, there's a female version of him, and her name is Naomi. Listen, if anyone could rightly say, I didn't see that coming, it was Job. And while very few have experienced suffering on the level he did, Naomi comes close. 
As a matter of fact, she may have surpassed him in some ways. Not only did Naomi live in one of the most spiritually dark times in Israel's history, she experienced tragedy, personal tragedy, on a level that is, um, that is quite incredible. Now, we are introduced to Naomi and her family in the first few verses of the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. So, church, it is my honor to take us to the Word of God today. If you're online, it's my honor to take us to the Word of God today. Ruth chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, and we'll be in Ruth this morning. So, church, hear the Word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Again, we're right about 1500 BC. And the man and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn to the country of Moab. So they're in Bethlehem, and he's going to cross the Jordan and go into the plains of Moab. The name of the man was Elmelech. Elmelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now I'm going to stop us right there. So not only did Naomi live in one of the most spiritually dark times in Israel's history, she was living in a time in which there was a famine. So let's just put that into perspective. We all kind of agree, I think, to some degree, that we're living in times where it seems like everybody's running around doing what's right in their own eyes. Can we all kind of agree on that? To some degree, I think we all would sign off on that. If you think things are bad right now, take away the food. Imagine how this country would be if there's no food. But this is the situation she finds herself in. Everyone's running around doing what's right in their own eyes, and then there is a famine forcing her to flee to a foreign country, essentially. Imagine if you and I, living in this country, experienced a famine so bad that we were forced to flee to another country. This is what Naomi was facing. But facing a family and being forced to flee, to flee from her home country was just, I'm literally just the tip of the iceberg for this woman. It's just getting started. Sometime after arriving in Moab, Naomi's husband dies leaving her with just her two sons. And then her two sons, bless their hearts, go and marry foreign women. So if you're a Jewish woman and you have two Jewish sons, who do you want them to marry? Jewish women. But her two sons go and marry uh, Moabite women. One of the women, one of these women, her, her name was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And that's the book of Ruth that we're in. But tragedy strikes again. As both of Naomi's sons die, leaving Naomi in a foreign country without a husband with two foreign daughter-in-laws all by herself. And the story picks up in verse 3. But Ella, I got it. Elimelech, believe it or not, that's how you pronounce it. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the, other, the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Incredible. It's truly incredible. You can begin to see why Naomi is called the female version of Job. She is a woman that comes face to face with circumstances that are both unexpected and extraordinary all the way around. Circumstances she did not see coming. Do you want to know how bad it got for this woman? You want to know how bad it was? It was so bad that 
This, here's what happens. Orpah, her one daughter-in-law, goes back to her family. But Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you. So Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem. They eventually work their way back to Bethlehem. When they get there, everybody's excited Naomi is back. But she says, this is how bad it is. She goes, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me Naomi anymore. So the two of them, that is Ruth and Naomi, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She's back. Is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Now, real quick, I'm going to stop right there. The guys, if you can, just pause it for a second online. Do you know what the word Naomi means? It means sweet. Her name means sweet. We're not sure why she was named that, but her name means sweet. And this, this is where it picks up. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? It's incredible. Naomi, having experienced all that she did, no longer wants to be called Naomi but Mara because she has experienced a ton of bitterness that she never, bitter circumstances came, after, came towards her one after another, out of left field, out of right field, things she never saw coming on a scale that most of us in this room can scarcely comprehend. But it's precisely here, you guys, where we learn something very significant about Naomi. And you want to know what it is? Here's what it is. Naomi knew God was at work in everything, even though she understood next to nothing. And by the way, that is exactly the same response that we see from Job. Let me prove it to you. Take, for example, the passage we just read. She doesn't want to be called Mara anymore, but look at what she says, uh, starting in verse 20. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with, bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Listen, for Naomi, what had happened to her weren't just a bunch of random arbitrary events. Rather, she recognized, brace yourselves for what I'm about to say, folks. Brace yourselves. She recognized what we often fail to recognize, and it is this. God is at work even when the work he is doing isn't all that pleasant. We all want God to work in our lives, don't we? Of course we do. We pray for that. God, work in my life as long as it's good. <laughs> Give me the good stuff, Lord. Open the heavens. Bless me. Oh, not so much over here. Limit over here, please, to when it's convenient and when it's not too difficult. Naomi, like Job, recognized that sometimes the Lord gives and sometimes the Lord takes away. And sometimes, as a matter of fact, most of the time, we won't know the reason why. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Job 1.21. And he, Job, said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord take, uh, has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Job's saying there's going to be times that the blessings from the Lord fall upon you. You bless his name and praise his name then, but you also praise his name when he takes away. And when what he's doing doesn't make any sense and when what he is doing is actually kind of painful, we praise his name then. 
And we see Job doing this, and we see Naomi doing it. She says, call me bitter, but she knows that there's nothing accidental about what has happened to her. God is moving in her life, even when that movement is somewhat painful. By the way, like Job, we never see Naomi lashing out at God. Truly incredible. An obscure Jewish woman living about, again, she's, she would have been roughly around about 1,200 years before the time of Christ, right in the middle of that time, that 400-year period of the judges. She never once, we, we never read her lashing out at God. Both Naomi and Job recognized God, God's hand in everything, even when they understood next, understood next to nothing. And that's significant. Why? Because there are many of you in here today and watching online that are going through things you didn't see coming. They have hit you out of left field, and you're here today going, I don't have a clue what's going on. The message to you today, you're in really good company. You're in really, really good company. Now, things get a little bit worse. They come back to, Jeru- they come back to Bethlehem. They're, so they're back in the, 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 in, the, in the land. And you think things would take a turn for the better, but no, remember, both of these women are without husbands, without money. They're poor. And this forces Ruth to have to glean the fields for food. Now, if you don't know what gleaning is, it's where the poor people would walk the outer edges of the fields and they would be looking for food that might have been left behind by those harvesting the fields. It's that bad for them. Just to eat, she's got to go out and scavenger for food. But it's during this time that Ruth found herself gleaning in the field of a man by the name of, and this is Bible test. Anybody know his name? Wow. Boaz. You guys know your Bible. You guys are awesome. Boaz, she finds herself gleaning in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And we see this in chapter 2. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, she just happened coincidentally to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who, oh, by the way, just happened to be of the clan of Elimelech. Remember that name? I butchered it about six times, so you should remember it. <laughs> Elimelech. Yes, if that name sounds familiar, it's because it was Naomi's husband. And that's incredibly important, and here's why. When Boaz meets Ruth, he shows incredible kindness to her. And when Ruth reports to Naomi what has happened, Naomi immediately recognizes Boaz is part of her immediate family. And Naomi once again recognizes this is not a coincidence. God is up to something. So Ruth told her mother-in-law, Naomi, with whom she had worked and said, this man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. The Lord's at work. This is the Lord. There's no coincidences here. None at all. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, 
Here's the deal, guys. This is where it gets really, really interesting. Naomi, on her best day, could not have fathomed how God was going to use every little detail that she had been through to accomplish things she could have never imagined. An obscure Jewish woman living 1,200 years before the time of Christ could not fathom what God was about to do and what God was doing. So you see that word redeemers right there. See it? A redeemer was a male relative who, according to the Jewish law, had the opportunity and the obligation to help out relatives who were in trouble or in danger or in need. Why is that important? Here's why, you guys. Here's why. Naomi could not have fathomed this, but her life was the gospel on display 1,200 years before the time of Christ before ever, 1,200 years before the time of Christ, before he ever set foot, before the Savior ever set, set foot on this planet, we see the gospel being played out for us in the life of Ruth and Naomi. So the Old Testament is full of what is called types and shadows. If you've ever heard this, a type or a shadow. And types and shadows serve to represent or point forward to things that are to come. So, for example, Colossians 2.17 says of the things of the Old Testament, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I had an Old, Old Testament professor, he said, open the Bible anywhere and it bleeds the blood of Christ. If you open the Old Testament, it bleeds the blood of Christ. If you understand types and shadows, the Old Testament is, it's two-thirds of your Bible. It's not like Christ is in just one-third of your Bible. Two-thirds of your Bible is the Old Testament. Open it anywhere, it bleeds the blood of Christ. Why? Because it's full of types and shadows, everything pointing forward to the time of Christ. When Abraham sacrificed Isaac, that was foreshadowing God one day sacrificing his own son. God telling Abraham, stop, you don't have to sacrifice your son. I was just doing that, foreshadowing what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. And now in the life of Naomi and Ruth, they come through a very difficult time and they are in the lowest place they can be and here comes a redeemer out of left field. Here comes a redeemer they didn't see coming, providing for them in a way that they could not have imagined. Folks, that's the gospel. The gospel, that is the gospel. We are the people who, living in a fallen sinful world, have been sent a redeemer from the Lord. Boaz being their redeemer was the gospel on display. But listen, here's where things get even more crazy. It's just getting started. Boaz and Ruth get married. <laughs> so Ruth was in the family. Then her husband died. Now she's back in the family. She's back in the clan again, so to speak, officially, because she marries Boaz. And Boaz and Ruth have a son, and his name is Obed. Pretty cool name, isn't it? And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son, and his son's name is Yavid, David. David, King David. The very same David who killed Goliath and went on to become Israel's greatest king, even though he was a flawed and sinful king. And you'll never guess who was a direct descendant of David. This is where you say Jesus. <laughs> I know with all these names, you're like, is it time to say Jesus yet? Because I know it's going to be in there somewhere. Yes. 
Naomi could not have fathomed on her best day that not only would her, her life be the gospel on display, but from her clan would come the Savior of the world. An obscure Jewish woman, I mean, imagine her, you guys, living 1,200 years before the time of Christ, not knowing anything about this, anything that was going to happen, just going, I'm an obscure Jewish woman going through, I mean, just the worst time. I'm in a foreign country. There's been a famine. Everybody's running around crazy. I've lost my husband. I'm, I'm nobody, and I will, I will go into eternity just a blip on the radar. Little did she know, an obscure Jewish woman... 1,200 years before the time of Christ, was going to be used by God to not only be the gospel on display, but from her, would come, from her clan would come King David. And it was because of the circumstances that she went through that Ruth married Boaz, and then came David, and then came Christ. By the way, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the, the Gospels, the first four gospel, the, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, each were written to different groups for different reasons. So, for example, Luke is writing to Gentiles, so he brings up the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 3 because it's not that important to him. But Matthew is writing to Jews. And so he starts with a genealogy. You open Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David. Because the Jews would want to have known that. That would have been important to a Jewish audience. Here's what's crazy. David, like Boaz, also serves as a type of Christ. He was a great king. He was Israel's greatest king, but he was a flawed and sinful king. And David's life points forward to the day that God would raise up an even better king, a perfect king, a sinless king. That, of course, being the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, folks, listen, Naomi understood that God was at work at every stage of her life, even though she didn't understand what was totally going down. But I tell you, on her best day, she could not have imagined how significant everything, every little detail that she went through was playing into God's and being used by God for his eternal purposes. Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, if you didn't make the connection yet, Boaz was an Israelite and Ruth was a Gentile. Guess where I'm going? Guess where I'm going with this? As you know. In this way, Ruth herself foreshadows God's divine plan for Jesus, not just to be Savior of the Jews, but of the Gentiles. Exactly why the Apostle Paul writes things like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you, Ruth. God was saying 1,200 years before the time of Christ, here's the gospel on display. People... Naomi and Ruth, in the most desperate of situation, what happened? God provides a redeemer. And from that redeemer comes King David. And from King David comes Christ, who was Savior not just of the Jews, of, but also of the Gentiles on her best day, in her wildest imagination. This obscure Jewish woman living 1,200 years before the time of Christ could not have imagined that she was going to be used in this way. And folks, that's significant for every one of us here today. Why? Because you are a believer. You are a child of God. And God is at work every bit as much today in every little detail of your life as he was at Esther's. Do you believe it? I hope you do. I mean it. The Lord gives, and you and I recognize when the Lord gives. We go pray. We recognize those blessings from him. But I'm here today to tell you those difficult valleys, those things you never saw coming, when they hit you and they fall in your lap, 
God's just as sovereign over those events as he, as he is the blessings that come into your life. And he's going to use all of it for his eternal purposes, for your good and his glory. All things work for the good of those who have been called by God, who love God and have been called according to his name. Ephesians chapter 1, he is working out all things according to the purposes of his will. There's nothing accidental happening in your life. I'm here today to tell you that. Do you understand that? The loss of a loved one like Naomi, there was nothing accidental about her husband dying. There was nothing accidental about her sons dying. There was nothing accidental about the famine. There was nothing accidental about Ruth being in the field of Boaz and him being part of their clan. None of that was accidental. My favorite theologian, one of them, R.C. Sproul, I've told you this before, he says, there is not an atom in the farthest reaches of the universe that can move one inch to the right or to the left without God's sovereign permission. I always ask people, is God sovereign? Is he in control? Yes. The question is, how sovereign is your God? Folks, he is not just in control of some things some of the times. He is in control of all things at all the time. Every last little detail of your life is under his sovereign care. That is the message that we learn from the life of Naomi. At the end of the day, Naomi, the things she never saw coming. You know what she didn't see coming, by the way? is the same thing you and I never see coming. And you know what that is? It's not the hard things that come into our life. What we never see coming is how God uses those things for his eternal purposes. I guarantee you, Naomi's in heaven right now going, oh my gosh, I still can't believe what God did with me and my life. That is what she didn't see coming. How awesome God is. How amazing God is. That is what she did not see coming. And I pray that's the same for you and me. That as we go through trials, as difficult things come into our life, as things, come, as things come out of left field and land in our lap, that we will have the faith in that moment to say, God, you are in control, and I trust that you're going to use this for your purposes. And I may not get, it may not tell I get to heaven that I understand the full significance of what you're putting me through right now, but I trust that what I'm going through right now is serving you, serving your purposes and bringing you glory. And there, I know what most of you are doing right now. You're doing what I'm doing because I do the same thing. I'm going, God can't use me on that level. I mean, I know he's going to work out the things in my life for his glory, probably on a little small scale. How, how do you know? How do you know? An obscure Jewish woman living 1,200 years before the time of Christ, forced to flee to a foreign country, losing her husband and her sons. I, I, there, could you imagine somebody walking up to Naomi and going, God's using this for his purposes? She probably would have said, I mean, I know he is, but how? That's the good news for you and me, you guys. God is every bit as much at work in your life as he was in Naomi's. You may have no clue what he's doing. You might be in a place right now today, you might be watching online and going, I don't know why what has just unfolded is unfolding. But know this, it is unfolding and God is going to use it. That's what God specializes in. Now let me conclude with this, and then I'm going to dismiss this to go over to the ministry fair. Like Naomi, I said this at the beginning, we are living in a time where everyone seems to be running around doing what is right in their own eyes. Why is that significant? Here's why. As believers, 
We are now facing pressures we didn't necessarily see coming. I mean, even five years ago, who would have thought we'd be where we are today? Are you guys with me? And the point is, is that I can't guarantee you where we're headed. No one can. There is a good chance that more things are going to come out of left field and are going to fall in the lap of Christians and is going to fall in the lap of the church. Things we didn't see coming that are going to make potentially our lives very difficult. Now that can be scary, but we have the story. We have the historical event of Naomi to undergird us in those times. The good news for all of us is that regardless of what might be headed our way, we can have utter confidence, absolute utter confidence that God will take those things we never saw coming and use them in ways we could never have possibly imagined. Do you believe it? What if I told you that we are going to be a part of a generation that will be talked about into eternity, that you and I are part of a generation that will be talked about for eternity in heaven. They, the, the saints of God will be referring back to this generation. Wouldn't it be cool to go, you were a part of that generation? I was, by God's grace. By God's grace. So no matter what's coming our way, you guys, know this and believe this. Do not fear tomorrow. You stand in fear of the one who reigns above all. You put your, you fear the Lord. You trust with him. You put your trust in him and you walk with him. And trust that no matter what comes your way, whether it be out of left field or right field, that God is fully in control. If you're here today, Dave alluded to it. I'm going to let us go right now. But I know that in a room the size with this many people, some of you are dealing with stuff that you didn't see coming, you would like some prayer. I want to pray for you. Dave will be up here as well. Dave, you're over here. We would love to pray for you. So if we can pray for you, awesome. If not, everyone has to go across to the community center because you're sinning if you don't. Did I say that out loud? I mean, there's donuts over there. That's what I meant to say. And hey, by the way, if you're watching online and you need prayer, um, shoot us an email, call the church this week. I'll be more than happy to pray for you. Dave will pray for you. But if you're online, don't fight, don't fight this fight alone and know that God is working in your life and we're here for you. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, we are amazed that an obscure Jewish woman living 1,200 years before the time of Christ, facing incredibly difficult circumstances, God walked with you and um, trusted you even when she had no idea what was going on. And God, from her came King David, from her family, through the events of her life came King David and came ultimately Christ, the Savior of the world. God, her redemption by Boaz is an example of the gospel on display. I cannot wait, Lord Jesus, to meet her one day and to talk to her about how you used her in such a mighty way. But God, I pray that you would give us every bit the faith that we need to believe that you are at work in our lives today. I pray for anyone in this room right now, God, who is dealing with difficulties, trials, who's anybody watching online that has been hit with something out of left field that has just knocked them down. God, that today you would encourage them and uplift them, give them hope, knowing that you are a God that is at work at all times and in all ways. And in this we believe. And in your son's name we pray, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said with me, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you right here next week. We'll see you over at the ministry fair. God bless.